everyone, don't forget to go to rebrandedsafety.com to get yourself some cool-ass merch. Get yourself sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs, tote bags, and you can support us a little bit more. And the best of it is you wouldn't even know you're supporting a health and safety channel because it just looks cool, man. Don't forget, rebrandedsafety.com. Get yourself some merch, peeps. Safe. What's up guys, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety does exactly what it says on the tin. We're here to challenge the perception of health and safety gone mad. We're here to challenge those over the top practices, challenge the perception of health and safety. And we do that through providing free how-to videos on YouTube. We do that through in-depth conversations on this podcast. So if you're new here, hit subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, and the bell, so you never miss another episode. Today we're talking about rebranding health and safety training. Today's guest has over 15 years experience in the construction industry, working as an IOSH safety trainer slash instructor and HSEQ advisor. And in his new role today, he's a head of training HSEQ. So that's health, safety, environment, quality. It's an opportunity to drive positive change through training. So the really interesting point on how he thinks that training should be higher up the hierarchy of control, um, which is a great point and it's an interesting point to make. Um, so in today's episode of Rebranding Safety, we're talking all about training, health and safety training. We're going to chew the fat. We're really going to get into some of these bits and we're going to go heavy on some parts and just fly over other. That is the nature of a conversation trying to fit it in a one hour podcast. If I'm honest, I probably could have chatted to Roy for ages. Oh, I've name dropped. Uh, His name's Roy Lovelock, by the way. So uh, make sure you listen to the end because at the end, I'm going to give my two top tips for improving health and safety training. And Roy's going to give his as well. So you're going to get four tips on how to improve your health and safety training, how to deliver great training. Obviously, there's going to be some amazing stuff through there that you'll you'll probably get loads. So maybe listen with a notebook. Um, So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to see you, James. And you, mate? Did you enjoy Christmas, New Year? Seems like a long time ago now, but yeah, it, really does, it was yeah. good. Catch up with family and shenanigans. So yeah, it was good fun. Good, good. Back to the grind now. Mm. Mm. Okay, why don't you start by introducing yourself, um, and um, and then we'll just go from there. We're gonna have a talk about have a chat about training. I think we're both like minded, but why don't you just introduce yourself from there, and we'll go from there. Um, well, yes, I, uh, I suppose I started in the industry uh, as an apprentice. I, I was a plant mechanic for Bosch Power Tools. Um, so I got an understanding of, of work equipment quite quickly um, and did that for about three or four years. Came out of the industry for a bit and then got back into it as a, 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 in a hire company. Um, 
and then went from there. So started my own plant repair company several years ago, and then was getting asked a lot of questions about training. And then I'd say about 15 years ago, I got into more of the training, did my teacher qualification, and then started doing my health and safety qualification. So I kind of, kind of came into industry a little bit later uh, with fresh ideas, but that's kind of how it began. So, uh, and that's when I first of all started to train in work equipment. So that's where I originally started was abrasive okay. wheels, um, uh, chainsaws, uh, pure, you know, basically under pure rig. So yeah, that's, that's where it kind of started for me. Now, um, working for myself for a long time, um, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my, my main uh, um, subcontractor, Watkins, came to me uh, with the idea of starting um, their own training academy, let's say, so internal training as opposed to external, which I think we'll probably chat quite a bit about today, um, with a view of trying to reduce their training costs, aid in subcontractor compliancy, and to get their guys where, where they need them to be. We need to get the operatives and, and in a compliant manner as opposed mm. to just training for the sake of it mm. i think that was the idea and the idea still is now is to try and engage with the workforce to promote effective training uh, and also to bring our subcontractors where we want them to be yeah so you train your subcontractors do you yeah well okay. you know, I, I mean i always have done for the company we've always they've, we've always been very good at making sure our subcontractors are so we've always actually given them a lot of free training, you know, from abrasive walls, manual handling, face fits, standard training courses that we can cover on site. We've always, as a company, Watkins have always offered that uh, to their guys in-house and, and, and for the external subcontractors mm, that's and, and to clients as well. So, yeah, just, okay. you know, it, 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 it shares the message. It, 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 it produces positive behaviour, which I think is the main is the main thing. Do you find that's a rarity? I've not seen that before. Is a is a, no, it a, is, a it is um, contractor offering training to the sub is is, is yeah definitely quite rare to me. Definitely, it seems to be. It's usually a finger wagging exercise, isn't it? Have you got mm. this? Have you got that training? It is a rarity, um, and I think that's where the industry needs to change. Where where we need to have our workforce at the level they need to be at. It's about working together. I think it's um, a good point you make actually about. Um, uh, about so, I feel like where you're where you're going is, or maybe let, let's kind of say what what I think it sounded like, is is it feels to me like contractors will say, um, right, here's my line of responsibility, and a yes. subcontractor, that's your responsibility. I've employed you, but you're a subcontractor, so therefore it's your responsibility. And I just think. Well, actually, if we start really getting into the nitty gritty with things, maybe CDM or, or whatever, you know, there is a consistent line, a golden thread of responsibility. And if we all just step back and just said, it's not about responsibility, it's not about legal um, liability or anything like that. It's just about creating a safe environment and delivering a product for our customer. Maybe would we be in a better place? And a good example of that, I think, is how many huge food manufacturing companies are there in just in the uk right probably loads like huge factories um that all buy their wheat and grain off of a farmer right but yet agriculture is still one of the worst performing industries in the uk health and safety wise you know, kill the most people every year blah 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 what if those big companies just went it's important to me that my farmers 
are not dying and, and actually are not hurting themselves. And, and I've got a huge health and safety team because I'm a huge food brand. And I don't know, I don't want to mention any brands in case you get told off. But let's say <laughs> Mc, yeah. Mc, McPherson cereal, for example. Yeah. And I've got uh, a load of local farmers and, and I've, you know, I think oh, I, I want to keep it local, blah, blah, blah. But I've got my own health and safety team. What if I just went, hey, do you know what? I want you to spend like one week a month just not auditing our farmers or anything like just go there help them say hey what are you struggling with is there any, anything i can help you with do you want any training like what you're doing you know come over here we'll give you some training on on whatever abrasive wheels or risk assessment and i just think if we maybe it is because we focus on liability we focus on responsibilities but actually if we collaboratively looked at things you might be in much a better place and that's one of why i was kind of interested in what you were saying there that you that you just take your subbies on board and go oh yeah come on we'll give you some training that must help with the procurement as well it must be a good selling point oh, oh massively because i mean we're, we're constantly talking to our uh, clients uh, about training and offering you know, not just training but um, you know we're, we're, a, we're a member of the IELTS She's No Time to Lose campaign uh, which we've you know not just joined but we've actually supported with equipment we've purchased mm. and information we're telling people. I feel like the only way that we we kind of break this plateau which, which let's be honest this is what everyone I think everyone's trying to do everyone's trying to come up with this new safety differently safety two, whatever we want to call it everyone's trying to come up with this new way of doing things to to make us better to get to zero or whatever we can have all the arguments about that but I feel like the answer is really simple I feel like it's just being collaborative yeah I I really do think that that the way we move forward the way we break that plateau is we start working together and not against each other from a safety point of view oh yeah absolutely absolutely and that that's the problem isn't it is that um I I think there's there's there's, I think it's probably a little more difficult than just being collaborative I, I think the problem stems from an old system of training and I suppose I liken that to when we look at the difference between training and education you know, okay. we've all been on a course where we've gone home and uh, the wife said, good day, or, or, you know, and you've gone, oh, I was on a training course today and it was, it was boring really, to be fair. Didn't mm. really get anything from it. Whereas if we educate somebody, you know, they go home, they've retained a couple of pieces of information that they'll then tell somebody else. And that to me is effective training. So when we, when we look at it in any industry, and we'll come back to when you're talking about... Um, you're talking about agriculture because I think there's some. I, th- I think a lot of the old, a lot of ideas can be based around industries like that. Some of the thoughts that I have regarding how training needs to be developed because I think we're we're still quite old-fashioned in how we do things, and I think there is change on the horizon. I really do. You just got to look at difference as we've spoken about the leading training health and safety recognised qualification is now under the NCRQ. So much so that Nibosh. I don't know if you're aware, made some real big, some big changes. Mm. And one of those changes is that they've gone down more of a practical route. Mm. So years the Nebush has been out, but back in last year, I think it was October last year, they've now, um, they're, they're now finishing up the old style qualification. And I think the general now, it goes to a more practical element, which is following the NCLQ. I think we're having change in the industry of training and it really needs it. It really needs training. And across the board, agriculture, manufacturing, um, construction, it really needs a shake-up. And I think it's coming. I think it's coming with like-minded people like ourselves. I think it's coming with bringing on 
clients, subcontractors, and working together and spreading the word. And I think it's coming with we uh, uh, we we've advanced um, with our ideas and how we can train people. And there's been a lot of research and on the type of um, training that's effective to individuals. And, and I think once we get rid of the idea of a cost implication, and realise actually the cost implication is far less than the implication of um, as absenteeism and sickness um, and so forth, I think you'll see huge changes in the industry. And I think mm. it's got to come. I think there's got to be a big change. Mm. Let, let, let's, let's take this like right back then so you mentioned about education training mm-hmm. i've got quite a crude analogy for that which i've used time and time again on this podcast which 100 will come up but i'll save it for now what what is training in your opinion and let's start with a real basic simple question of what actually is health and safety training health and safety training is giving people the skill excuse me and the awareness to reduce the risk to themselves that's how i see it mm-hmm. that's how i see it we, we can we can nag somebody to wear a pair of ear defenders all day long we can issue them red cards we can find them <laughs> but if we educate them why they're wearing ear defenders if we spend 20 minutes with them not just not just once every three years but if we spend 20 minutes with them and then a month later do a toolbox talk and then three months later on we bring out a safety bulletin that talks then again then again about the risk of tinnitus that's educating people mm-hmm. it's re- it's 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 a message that continues that re- mitigates doesn't mitigate risk but it reduces the risk to the individual mm-hmm. that's to me that's health and safety training yeah talk about compliancy but to me that's that's where we stand yeah i don't like the word compliance but we will will (laughs) yeah yeah um so i think there is a where am i going to go with this i've got like five million things coming into my head that i want to talk about um okay what what does it in in your opinion, it, it, it's it's like I've, I think when, when I say to people, right, what, what in your opinion is health and safety training? They all describe the the room essentially. So they all say, sitting in a room, PowerPoint, somebody telling me what to do, and and I, and I think that is a method of training. Mm-hmm. Uh, e learning is a method of training, or a method, or actually, I think the better way to say this is that all methods of education so education is the all-encompassing word what we're trying to do is educate somebody on either physically how to do something or why we do something or, or all of the above and then training so let's let's assume training is face-to-face phys- physical engagement and, and training i'm a trainer you're the trainee pick up this extinguisher squeeze the nozzle blah 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 e-learning that's like I've always called e-learning more like education, but from the point of view of this kind of theory-based, sitting there, watching something, doing something, whatever. And you could even say that the classic idea of training is just that, sitting in a room, watching PowerPoints, be that right or wrong, it depends on the trainer, I suppose. But that more educating somebody and not physically training and so on. I'm, I'm probably arguing about semantics here, or not arguing, but talking about semantics of, of what, what use of words. But then you've got like kind of like coaching, um, which you might kind of relate to like the old, like kind of like shadowing schemes and things like that. But 
I think there's so many people think on the point I'm trying to get to. I know you were talking about waffling, and now I'm waffling. <laughs> the, the point of, <laughs> the, thank you the point i'm trying to get to is that we we kind of we stem our growth by by thinking that training is such a simple one thing it's a room Absolutely. people at a powerpoint and when i yes. sit in a room and say so i'd sat in a room with a business and said right we need to look at training oh yeah we can buy a trainer we do training no 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 you you do one method of training. I'm talking about having having your health and safety people become a bit more of a coaching mindset instead of a checkers and an auditors. I'm having I'm talking about doing face to face training and e learning and safety bulletins and having you could call them safety moments at the beginning of a meeting maybe. And we say, hey, right, we're just going to talk about asbestos today. And somebody gets up and goes blah, 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 about asbestos. It's it's like five minutes long. Done that's it we can have a chat whatever all of those things are training like so i used to we used to work for a business where we used to go around to we were basically kind of like the landlord of buildings and our customers were the people that delivered the service from that building and we would go in and sometimes have their own health and safety team they're really good depending on the size of the business sometimes you go there and it was just a couple of people that couldn't even spell health and safety let alone manage it and, and that is an opportunity to train somebody. If you're going in talking to the receptionist and, and they're being expected to kind of deal with people like me, an auditor or whatever, and I'm like, right, where's your Legionnaires management folder? And they're like, what, what's Legionnaires? I'm like, boom, training opportunity. Right there in that second, get a coffee, let's sit down, I'll take you through what Legionnaires is. It's an educational opportunity. But then, but then you have to have your management on board for that, don't you? And when you, you going back to that key point, I agree with everything you say. I really do. It, it, if the process is simple, when you look at that, let, let's look at let's look at Watkins again. Let's go back to the, to this to this framework of internal training, which we'll discuss more. But you've got to have management on board. I think that's the key thing. And when they brought brought myself on board, it came from management from from, from the MD um, to operations managers, finance management. It went all the way down the company, and it's a chain. It's a flow. It, it, it's 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 positive behaviour from top to bottom that gets gets supported, and the message gets goes from the top to the bottom, gets turned around and goes back up again. Um, mm. So well, you're absolutely right. You, you why is the why is the lady in a, on the reception when we talk about you know where, where's your um, your fire risk assessment and she's not has no idea. You want your receptionist to know to know what you're talking about, where to find that document, and to be actually engaging positively with among other members of staff about those areas mm. um otherwise you just have the tick box mentality which we which we, we as an issue we're trying to come away from so it, it those points are very are key that they're important that we try and you, you know promote circular in a company training mm. that, that we're enforcing the ideas of a safety culture within now, let's go back when you you're talking about um types of training you were talking about um e-learning i've done i don't know if you were aware i also did a research last week in the, into, into multi-sensory um augmented training mm. and we, we talk about cost as well so they've now got where we've got the virtual reality which i think is going to which has been it's had its issues um from 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 domestic to to, to, to to business use it's had its issues but it's moving on still they've now looking into the multi-sensory uh, which is where um, you're tackling a fire, 
in the virtual reality world, but in front of you, some heaters with fans, with, with fins on that would guide the heat towards you. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, mm. And I also done done some research recently into it. And, and, the, and the feedback and the results from it have, have been, it suddenly turns from a game with virtual reality into to, to real life when you suddenly put these multi-sensory heaters onto somebody. Mm. Um, the cost of these is about two and a half grand. But that's two grand spent on the software and the computer. You're talking 500 quid to bring training into the 21st century. Oh, yeah. We're not just standing in the classroom chatting about asbestos, death by PowerPoint, you know. We still have trainers out there who don't look at um, individual training needs, how learners retain information. Where Are they kinetic learners? The majority of people are kinetic. They want to do mm. things practically. Are we audio learners or visual learners? How many trainers out there really look into that? How many trainers pay attention to that? Now, I will do courses where I'll find out if people are left or right-sided brain. It takes 30 seconds to find out the type of style that someone's learning by. When we look at effective training or good training and we look at spreading a word or when we look to me, you could look at one simple way with effective training or how we get training across. And that's one individual you had on your show recently, Jason Anker. Yeah. Now, I think Jason Anker is um, an amazing man. and um, But my reason why he's an amazing man is not because he is received his MBE for, for the charity work and the work that he's done. Um, because this man gets up on a daily basis and talks about what happened. He has to relive constantly what happened to him. Okay. Why is Jason Anker such an effective, and he, I call him a trainer. Why is he a, an effective educator? Because he's passionate about what he does. Yeah, yeah, it's passion. Yeah. It's not It's not just about he sits in a wheelchair and he talks about nurses and he swears and, you know, and it's fantastic. You know, I've been on a few of his seminars. I've met him at the HC Expo. I've sat on some of his training days. And I, I like to think I'm a pretty good trainer, all right? I think I'm okay. Um, I think I get my points across and I do it in a, in a way that I think engages the learner, but I've never had people sit opposite me like people have sat listening to Jason Anker. And that's because yeah. he's passionate about what he does. Yeah. And I think you've got to look at him as as, as a structure of classroom-based training and how we get classroom-based training across. The trainer has to be passionate about what they're doing. And I think when you look at external training, that's where you lose a lot of your focus, okay? Yeah. Um, he's engaging, he isn't he? He's so even even when we had him on the podcast, it's not like it's not like kind of he doesn't he's he's a big character within the industry. Yeah, he's he is, a huge yeah. name, and, yeah. and 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 with those huge names, sometimes they kind of demand respect, and I don't really like that. But it, it Jason doesn't demand respect. He just he just gets your attention mm-hmm. within seconds he's, he's so relaxed in a way he's you know he was probably the first huge name we had on a podcast and i was unbelievably nervous also then i came on and obviously obviously and then uh, <laughs> within within seconds i'm relaxed it's just a chat it, it yeah. it's and it was just i was so engaged with him it was such an amazing conversation and and to kind of 
to kind of put that into context is is most people you definitely know but most people um probably don't know is how how we kind of do this so we have a pre-chat as you know and i'll put together some notes and i have them on the screen to the left of me right i did the same with jason she had the same notes and on, on to the left of me one of those questions was asked one the rest of them didn't even mention them. Why? Because Jason went down this route I was not expecting, went down more of a well-being route. Um, we barely even mentioned working at height, I think, which is obviously the, the, the incident that, that happened to Jason. Mm-hmm. But yet the conversation was so engaging, I didn't need my notes. And, and that engagement and that passion and that kind of relaxed nature is something that I feel a lot of trainers miss. I feel like a lot of trainers are lecturers. Yeah. as opposed to trainers if that makes sense yeah because i think i think as you say jason's i think what gets people's attention is his passion for it yeah. yes he lived it and he lives it daily but it's his passion behind it and i think you'll find with a lot of trainers they are carrying out courses that they're not passionate about that, that maybe have the knowledge behind standing in front of people um and so they they miss it to them it's just seeing out the day and that again is the external training yeah there's some great courses out there um there's some great trainers some great, and, and some fantastic courses but but once again i come back to this and i'll be saying this quite a bit in this podcast it's about the industry it's about innovation it's about change it's about external v internal training and i and i look at jason anchor because i know i always point back to him because we look at his passion and his but and his knowledge and the effective style of training that he has and it's engaging um and you are relaxed and you are focused on him and there's nothing else matters about him you and you walk away from that that training and still now people will talk about it and that's amazing because mm. we, we lose 50 percent of um the knowledge in a training course within well inside an hour i mean that's worrying mm. what trains pick up on that but where someone like jason well i'm pretty sure people will three years down the line still be saying oh i met that guy going with that horrible accident and they'll they'll relive three or four pieces of information because of jason not because jason sits in the wheelchair because of his injury because he was passionate about what happened to him yeah and i and i commend the man because he really was it he tells that story to people all the time and he's still doing it now and i and i went and saw when he first started training which was yeah a year into his training and he's still as passionate now as he was then and, and I, so I have a lot of credit for that. but we can look at that as a as a as a, as a benchmark for, yeah. for, for, for training yeah, I would. Some areas I wouldn't train in. CDM, I wouldn't train in because I'm not passionate about it. Yeah. There are areas that I'm very passionate about, and and people we listen is thinking, how can you get passionate about health and safety? You've got to be to be a trainer. You've got to be passionate about what you do. You've, mm. got, you've got to be passionate about not what you're talking about, but the word and the, the, the thoughts that you have are being spread, not just from you and, and, and the individual, but from the people they're going to tell, the the youngsters and the apprentices they're going to speak to. Yeah, the the, the, the people with them. Um, um, you know, um, as you said, uh, well-being. We, we 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 use that team mental health, but the the, 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 the term I, I like to think of. We, we look at well-being. It's about spreading a word. It's about it's about engaging with not just with your workforce, but with with if you're in the industry you're working in. It's about spreading that word to uh, all those people. Mm. And I think it's got to stem from that training course. And training isn't used affected as it should do. When we look at hierarchy controls, we Training comes so far down the list. And I think one of the reasons being for that is because we've become quite obstinate in how we train people. 
we we still do the classroom-based training where we sit with death by PowerPoint, I was mentioned before. And there's nothing worse than that. Yes, a bit of PowerPoint's good, but we don't look at training styles or learning styles for individuals. Mm. Um, and that's what I think when we go back to internal, external training, internal, we can keep, we can keep emphasizing the points that we make by passing it on to supervisors, to management, to uh, training departments, to the HR department. Well, we can continually develop that message. Um, best practice, positive behavior. Um, it is about coaching, as you mentioned, but it's, it, it, it needs to change. I think it really does. I think we need to have a huge shake up. And there's many reasons for that. I think there's quite a few reasons for that. If we look at it as an industry and we look at what we rely on, we've got very lazy, okay? And I, and I don't, I don't, let's look at construction. So if my goal is gonna work at heights, we are steered towards PASMA. Now PASMA's a good course. Um, PASMA has a lot of kinetic learning and a lot of visual and written learning. And it's not bad. SMSTS, now you and I have spoken about SMSTS. Yeah. Maybe one we'll chat about, um, <laughs> you know, um, and and then I think one when we, one of the main things that, with that as well is we look at something like harness training. Now, I'm a harness instructor. I've done several harness courses where I've been on myself, and I and I got a, ref, a renewal notice coming through a few weeks ago to say that my 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 course elapsed, it finished, you know, three years. And I just thought, well, what's changed in three years? Legislation may have changed slightly. Has there been new innovation in harness, you know, uh, in harness development or lack? Well, there really hasn't, is there? And I think that's more where I'm looking at is that. How, when we look at training, I think we really need a shake-up. I think... It's like, it's like we... I, I think that we do training not to train people, but to prove that we've trained people. Exactly right. Yes. Um, yes. And I I think that's where this desire for external providers comes from. Um, And and I've had this debate time and time again, where quite recently, to be honest, where I'm a huge advocate for internal training if you've got internal trainers. Now, there's another separate conversation now, which we'll come on to, that just being a good safety professional or a good engineer, good abrasive wheels, forklift driver, whatever, doesn't make you a good trainer. You need that passion, what you said about, you need to enjoy engaging with people. and You don't need to be okay with public speaking. You need to like public speaking. And I think there's a big difference there. Um, So, and that kind of brings me to the point to say that I think external training is is used to get a certificate I think that courses like IOSH managing safely your your SMSTS and all these things it's for a badge that's that's all this is and it's a real shame and when people when I've said well what what do you need that badge for when we need to be able to show you know in case something goes wrong when we're in court you know that, that we've done the training I'm not being funny if you're in court the training didn't work no, so it's too late anyway oh yeah but it could minimize our our, our claims or, or in, the, in the civil courts yeah yeah it could it could 100 yeah 100 that could why don't we focus though on delivering and educating people 
so that we don't end up in court. It's, if we look at this so backwards and, and it's like, yeah. but how are we going to prove it? You prove it by going out onto the workforce or into the shop floor or wherever you are and seeing that people are doing the work how you want them to do it. It's not hard. It just means getting off your butt, going into the, the factory or whatever kind of work you're doing in your case going and having a look with some subcontractors put the fucking checklist down leave that in the office just go and have a cup of tea with these guys whilst they're doing a job and just say hey get on gents have them just stay there for the day even help them out a little bit be a laborer or whatever you'll see that they're doing a job right you don't need that certificate and and that's probably why i'm so very passionate about creating internal trainers however I will caveat that to to a point that I understand that there are financial um, benefits of having going to external trainers. So, and I think... But is there? I think think there is to a point. I think it depends on the business. So I think if you're a very small... uh, It's difficult. If you're a very small business, I could... And you're trying to train people on something very specific. I don't know. If you're like a small engineering business you, you're going to employ welders for example let's say you, you, you need to weld and then someone comes in and said oh have you trained these welders and we're like well i don't really need to train these welders because they've been welding for about 40 years absolutely yeah but i can understand in the current i think what we have to acknowledge Roy, and this is a hard thing i think for people like me and you that want to jump to this world where you know i want to jump to a world where we have no certificates we have no checklists we just get shit done um but we have to acknowledge that we're in that world now and kind of take baby steps so i understand that there are there are reasons why we have external trainers and i think that the benefit of an external trainer is you can go to mcpherson training for example and you can have a myriad of courses you have a library of all of these courses in in one place it's a quick go to you know one-stop shop i can go to mcpherson training i want a brace of wheels boom i want asbestos boom and i want legionnaires boom all three of those mcpherson training can provide it for you okay great to do that internally you've got to find people that want to do it maybe you've got to send them on a course get them engaged with it create the content yourself i can understand why it's attractive the problem is 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 what you touched on in my opinion is the overall and i don't want to tire everyone for the same brush there are a lot of good trainers out there but this is just based on my experience of external trainers if people are listening and they don't like what I'm about to say, they can go find the people that I've experienced and moan to them because it's their fault. My experience of external, and to be honest, most trainers, is they're boring, monotonous lecturers that stand there and chat away. But also, there's no connection to the business. And this is the big thing, I think, with this is the big problem with external providers. Is I've sat in a course um, not too long ago, went to an external provider course for the business and just to see what it was like. And to be fair to the trainer, she was very good. She was engaging. It was classroom-based, whatever. We provided the slides, etc. But she was very good with what she's been given which was a hard thing she'd been given slides from another business to deliver not her slides which is a which is a challenge in its own right i thought she's been given all these slides oh, she was very good she was very engaging the problem was if i went hey how we actually do it at mcpherson business is like this is that right or wrong and the trainer's like i don't really know it's up to you 
and it's that connection because they're external they don't have that connection so i think you can use yeah. external trainers but you need an internal yeah. person because i was there to observe the training i was answering all the questions that the, that the delegates had because i was the internal uh, health and safety person and how many how many how many guys would do, i mean I, it's, it was about it's funny, i did an asbestos course last week <laughs> oh, okay. and um yeah and 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 i won't mention the client's name uh, but beforehand, I, I asked them why they got me here, and they'd explain. They'd found that they're, they're building a bridge, and they, they'd felt found some, some some stuff, vessels related products in the ground. Mm. So I said, "Look, how far do you want me to go? It's only awareness, awareness course. Awareness. Where do you want me to go with this? Yeah, I know. Where, where <laughs> would you like? Where do you want me to go with this? You know, and um, I, I don't want to jump. I, I need to sit on the fence, but at the same time, I don't really want to sit on the fence. I'd like to just be able to let the guys know." whether at risk, whether not at risk, and, and put their minds at ease. And they were more than happy for me to do that. So we kind of agreed on what I could say. And I did spend 20 minutes at the end, putting their minds at rest and so forth. Yeah. But that's the difference. I've been on so many courses, external courses, where they, you leave you leave questions down. Think about training in its own right. We're talking about, an in, in all industries, where we're talking about um, adult learners, okay? What do adult learners want from a course? They want answers to questions, okay? They, yeah. they go in with the ideas and thoughts. They go in with their own knowledge. A lot of them have got a lot. We've all had that with guys who have got a lot to say for themselves. How you deal with those is another way. I've got some of those on the company who have a lot to say for themselves. <laughs> so I have to train. And, and you've got to deal with that. But, but majority of learners, adult learners, um, are self-motivated. Um, and they have a need or thirst for knowledge. And they mm. want those questions answered. So... So to give them the final points on a PowerPoint and then to leave them without the questions answered, to me, it makes the training totally irrelevant. Yeah. In, in, in talking about what you just said, that makes it completely irrelevant. So yes, agree. External training, it's a great, because if you just have internal, it, it, I think it leads to that term group, group thought, doesn't it? Mm. But if you get an external client, or an external trainer, sorry, they can bring some new innovation and idea in yeah. uh, uh, that, that then stops it listening just to my voice drone on. Because I wouldn't want my guys just listening to me all the time, my dulcet tones. No, you want them to no. have some influence. And we've got some very good external trainers. I've, we've selected a few that are fantastic, especially our STMSTS. They're a very good company. And every bit of feedback from my guys is that the course was very educational, but what was in it wasn't really practical to them. So it's funny, my issues with the course, not with the training provider. The training provider are actually very, very good. Yeah. So, yeah, in answer to your question, what you're saying, there is, a, there is a scope for external training, but then it's how it overlaps with the, where we look at internal, how far how far they go. And that's that's one of the issues with the external side. Plus, mm. it's expensive. Yeah. And that's another issue with it as well. Yeah. As you say, in a real world, we want everybody just to, um, to be able to go about their job safely, you know, but we won't get there. But what we could get to is to a point where we don't have to constantly look at the refresher every three years. That, that's another issue that we'll talk about that I struggle with. I struggle with the whole refresher training that we leave people. We do we do a a first aid course, but we leave we leave three years. Look at the NHS, okay? Now we've all got our own thoughts and ideas about the NHS, but the NHS on training works very very well. They have they'll they'll do let's say they'll do some patient manual handling training. They don't just then renew it in three years. They'll renew it in maybe 18 months, but they have coaching. They have link nurses um, during that time, continually spreading that word of what they were taught. So they'll go around, like you said, and they'll do spot checks to make sure, and they'll go and have a cup of coffee, 
and they'll go and make sure guys are doing things right and they'll put them right. Oh, do you remember? That's how you, you know, simple things, but they don't do it. They're taught not to do it in a derogatory way, but to do it so they're just reinforcing that message. And the NHS do it very, very well. Whereas our industry does it the other way. It does it the other end. We just do, do some training, do it again in three years time, which mm. to me is completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, unless it's uh, unless it's it's guys in our position, guys and girls in our position who have to do CPD, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But that's where I think we should be looking at. It, it, I think it, I think it just solidifies a point. I think it just solidifies a point that all we're doing is just doing it for the certificate. You know, it, it, how many audits have, have, have I had? I can't even count on my, all of my digits of where they go. Have you have you done training? Yep. Can I see six certificates? Yep. There you go. Are they in date? Yes. 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 Done. And, and don't get me wrong, a good auditor will then go and find people on the shop floor and, and challenge it and ask some questions about it, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, but, but we can't get away from the fact that why do we need, and, and to be fair, I think, didn't they change first aid? You don't have to, leg, is it legally, you don't have to get it reviewed now? I can't remember. The, yeah, was well, it just St. John's? To, yeah. I can't remember. Well, no, the agency used, used to be guided towards... Um, um, uh, was it three the three day but they 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 pulled away. I'm not, I'm not totally sure myself. Mm. And they, they 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 you used to have to either it was in guidance or it was just St John's ambulance or something. I can't remember, but you used to. It was kind of unwritten law that you had to get it reviewed every two years, three years, whatever yeah. it was. And and they kind of got rid of it a few years ago. It's a long time since I looked at it, so it's a bad example to be fair. But it is like. I've, well, I've always used the example of forklift driving, right? So you, you have to review your renew your license. I think it's every year now uh, with forklift driving. But yet you can get a driving license on a car that goes yeah. 70, 70 miles an hour. You can go faster if you want to. And you can go 70 miles an hour and you get your license when you're 17 and you never have to renew it ever again. You never have to go on any refreshers. Not to 127. Exactly. And how many people die on our motorways or in cars compared to how many people die from abrasive wheels or bad first aid or, or legionnaires or asbestos or, to use my example, pork lift trucks? It doesn't make sense. It's like we are backwards. And, and it's like, why? Because I'm not being funny. Old people are probably the worst. Young people and old people are the worst drivers other than Audi, BMW drivers and all that crap, <laughs> right? They're the worst because shit's changed. The culture's changed. How we drive has changed. The roads have changed. The cars have changed since my grandma, for example, even though she doesn't drive anymore, thank God, um, it's changed since she was 17 or whatever it was when she could drive. But, but yet we don't renew our licenses. I think that there is proof that we've got it backwards in, in our work environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then they get it right. If someone's, if someone's caught speeding, what do we do? We educate them. Mm. We send them on a course and um, we send them on a course for, was it half a day? And they're educated. And, 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 and I spoke to someone recently who was telling me about the course that they went on. And they said, oh, do you know what? I've completely forgotten about this. If there's uh, lights down a, a, a road, it's 20 miles an hour, 30 miles, 20, 30 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. But he said, I've forgotten about that. I did it in my highway code. I did it when I did my test 25 years ago. And mm. I've completely forgotten that point. And that's been out since like 1947, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I completely, you know. Proves your point. Your point. Proves your point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I did the... Um... I've, I've been on a speed awareness course. Oh, I do you know what? I, I, 
feeling you're going to say that, mate. To be, I'd have put money on that. <laughs> <laughs> as a as a safety professional, I'm obviously a hypocrite. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you how many points I've got. I'm a much better driver now. <laughs> when I was young, I was well, when I was younger. I like to think I still am young, but when I was younger, I did just drive like a twat. I will hold my hands up. Um, but I went on this speed awareness course. Really nervous. I don't like being told off, and I thought I was going to get told off for half a day. Um, and I draw, I wasn't. I was educated. There was things that that gent, there were two gents doing it. They were very good. They were engaged. They were passionate. They made it entertaining. It was funny. It was. They really got the group going. You know, you do the go around the room and you say, "Hey, Roy, how fast were you going? Oh, doing thirty-two and a thirty. Oh, naughty you. Next one, <laughs> yeah, how fast are you going? Thirty-five and a forty. James, how fast were you going? Eighty-two and a fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Like, in your BMW, yeah? <laughs> it was an Audi at the time. Um, uh, in, in my defence, it was a temporary speed limit, which I thought was finished. But it was, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, that old temporary speed limit, was it? Yeah. <laughs> but I was still speeding over the National 70 anyway. But, but that aside, it was really good. And, and I just think, why don't we do this proactively instead of reactively when there's yeah. more and more people dying every yeah. year on the roads? Yeah. But, but, but yet, if you go and learn, teach, do some training on, I don't know, frigging how to use a, a drill at work, the first thing people ask is, when do we have to review, renew it? It's like... Exactly. And that's what I get. That's what I got for every course. And we've already got it in the system how we do it. We have to do it with CPD. Mm. Look, you know, look at, look at, okay, so I teach IOS Working Safely course. Now, that's a brilliant course for many reasons. Um, one of the reasons is one, it doesn't have a refresher day, and two, it, it steers away from a lot of legislation because of the, for the learner, which is another, another point in case, but we'll keep to the main point about, you know, um, training when we talk about that. To me, we missed the point. We are backwards because what we should, what we, where we should go is that we, we put someone on a training course, but then we don't leave them for three years. <laughs> Just leave, leave them be for three years or five years with some courses, yeah. and then they do the same course again. There should be a gap. There should be something, not just in the middle, but then moving on forwards. So we don't, not we don't do it again in five years, but we do an abbreviated course. Mm. Why are we giving people time in on-site predominantly or a couple of hours, you know, what, what, what would, with our continual professional development, I enjoy reading articles in magazines. Um, I, I enjoy putting um, uh, what I put into practice down on paper and put it in the CPD seminars that I go to. Now they're all they're all coaching and training. We need to do we need to engage in more of seminars, and that's a big thing. But but that shows every year that I'm 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 still con- on top of the industry and the the training that I carry. I'm on top of the new innovation and the new ideas and the thought process. Why why aren't we doing that for our learners? Why do we why do we put someone on a let's say abrasive rules course, all right? Which hasn't changed since the only thing that's changed the abrasive rules course is the title. It used to come under the abrasive rules act and now it's under pure. <laughs> but nothing's really changed. There's been a few small changes, but nothing you couldn't have learned in two hours, one hour a year doing some CPD yourself. Googling, let's be honest, we'll know how to do it. Google, you know, abrasive rules, you know, latest thoughts or ideas and that information will come up and we get that down onto paper and then you know it's when you then talk to other learners you give people the time to talk to each other as well it's just about positive behavior it's about coaching it's not just about us coaching our guys it's about our guys coaching each other it's about them talking to each other about things toolbox toolbox i think it's a really valuable lesson but all we ever have is a supervisor standing there going right lads what we're going to work today i like to I, i tell our guys 
mix it up. Get one of the subcontractors to do it one week. You know, yeah, get the yeah. guy who thinks he's the class on clown on site. Get him to get involved and to do it. Yeah, mm. because people take from that. You know, mm. simple simple ideas and simple changes will ch- can change the system. The, you know, there's a, a huge value in getting in that toolbox sort piece that you said about getting other people to do it, and 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 it works. And I tell you why it works, or why I know it worked, is is we did something similar in in an old job that I used to work at. Uh, it was a distribution factory basically and we used to have regular safety meetings etc and we started doing this thing called a safety moment right i can't remember what we we're going to call it something else but i wasn't allowed to call it that uh, and they said i'll oh, call it a moment i was like all right whatever so we did it and um and it was basically like i said earlier about five minutes probably not even that long of me talking about uh, a subject could be asbestos or uh, something that happened in in the iOS magazine and I was like mm, I'm going to talk about this and I put together a little PowerPoint presentation I did it twice and then I said right did everyone enjoy today's moment yeah yeah they did right FYI I will do next month's meeting or next week's meeting or whatever it was after that it's going to work around this table and you are all going to go away pick a subject one a week not everybody just this person this week that person next week you'll go away you'll pick a subject or we'll have a conversation and and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of come up with a subject. You're going to put together a couple of minutes of a, of a, it doesn't have to be a PowerPoint, but it can be if you want to. It can be an exercise, whatever you want to do that fits your style. I don't care. It was only a small meeting. There was only like six people in there. So it's not like it's out of their comfort zone too much if they don't like public speaking or anything like that. Small group, go away, off you go. Everyone kicked off. I think I even had a complaint to my manager. But, uh, <laughs> but I said to my manager, "You can you can shove off. We're doing this." And and I, I'm telling you now, if it doesn't work, and in six months' time we get no value out of it, and people are still moaning, I'll stop, uh, and I'll hold my hands up, and I'll say, "Yep, yeah, it didn't work. That's fair enough." But I think this is going to work, and it did. What what came out of it was phenomenal. I had a closer relationship with all of these people because they were talking to me more to to how do they you know i don't know let's say we're talking about asbestos they'll be coming over to me james i'm i'm, I'm reading through the different types of asbestos it doesn't make any sense oh that's cool i'll come over we'll sit down and then um, the the key thing was is that about two or three months in uh, a lady came over to me uh, in my boss's office thank god um it was good good timing and she said oh, i just wanted to say about that safety moment mine was last month and um and I probably learned more about whatever subject it was doing, getting the re- getting it all ready to teach people than what I ever have ever. And my boss was like, "Fair play, James. Fair play is a good piece of work." But it it does work getting people engaged. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not about the subject. It's not about the certificate. It's about getting them engaged. Whether that means they're delivering it, or whether that means you're just getting engaged in an exercise within a training room, it doesn't matter. This all comes down to engagement. And yeah. the ideas we were getting were phenomenal. We were having people being. We had one gentleman did manual handling, and I could have kissed him because he went right. I'm going to talk about manual handling, and he went. I'm not going to do a PowerPoint. We're going to go out and factory floor and i was like oh you beautiful man I've, I've seen trainers do worse training jobs and this guy was like come on we'll go out there and, and he was just showing people how to lift a box in yeah. the environment where they work and i was like oh oh this was amazing and this was Let just what, factory work one question mate did you learn something from that personally oh yes uh, i mean i i come up with ideas uh i i feel like the most the best thing i learned was 
was the potential and the knowledge you have on the shop floor which you you overlook yeah i think that was the biggest thing i learned that that there are i'm not going to say i didn't think i i I, it just sounds like i I thought at the age that everyone was stupid on the shop floor and i probably didn't but at the kind of young arrogant age i always thought that when it comes to health and safety i knew more but but actually what that taught me was is yes i might be the expert and i say that in quotations in a certain subject but they're an expert at the job that they do and the things that they were coming up with were like yes this is this is that's best blah 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 but this is what it looks like for us and it just opened my eyes in how to be a better trainer and how to be a better safety professional and how to utilize the potential of your workforce was probably the biggest yeah. thing i learned from it absolutely you, you you know regardless of titles you you you're one of them you work with them exactly and they've got to not, not only have you got to be out they've got to trust in what you're educating them on but you've got to be able to to take from them as well i think that's mm. one of the most key things we that, that we'll talk about later on about a couple of points of looking at good trainers i think that's that's really one of them about how we engage with our workforce and how we listen to them now I'm going to name drop a client. One of the clients who work with Mount Anvil, they have health and safety coaches. Mm. That's their title for, for, for us guys. They got yeah, a guy a called of those Tom. Now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, a couple of people doing coaches now. Which yeah, I'm liking. If 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 the practicalities work with what they're, they're promoting, they've got yeah. a guy called Tom Shill. Tom is. Um, I think the new generation of safety professionals, I think he's not one of these guys who, who waves a red card at people. We'll go and talk. He'll go down, we'll go down to the shop for him and I will do a site walk with with my guys and, and, and other officers on site and we'll engage with people. And as he always says, it's not it's it's better to go up to someone as you you know, have a chat with them and not say you're not wearing your, your ear defenders, but it's about actually, you know, dropping it in later on, you know, you might want to wear the defense and explaining why. But what then they what then Tom does, which which I try and do, and I think it's it's a really positive thing, is that you then take that away and he has monthly meetings with all his subcontractors on the site, something they do. And he'll take it in turns bringing a different subcontractor in to do the, the presentation. And what he wants them to do is five good, five bad. So he'll have five pictures up. And we don't sit as an ask chewing exercise. It's it's, it's it, we have a bit of a laugh and a joke, and people hold their hands and go, "Yeah, that's me. That's my towel with no protection on it. Yeah, all right, <laughs> you know." Um, and then five good, and he gets everyone to take their, their turns. And then what he also does is he'll sometimes pick a subject, and I think he's done COPD a few times. And it's really good to listen from from, from me totally constantly preaching to our guys, especially at the moment with you know chronic obstructive problems with your dust, your silica dust, asbestos, and so. He did a really good presentation recently on that. That opened my eyes as well and made me go away and do some research on some of the things that he was talking about. And I think that's one of the points as well, isn't it? It's it's not just about your company. It's about the engagement of the people that you work with, mm-hmm. work for, your clients, subcontractors and so forth, as we as I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, and I think you get a lot more from it. I think you get a lot more from it than just going around doing, doing an audit and a review and check and monitor. I think if we actively sit down Okay, discuss things as as, as groups and, and enforce messages, but but not just those people we respect. If those people we respect listen to us as well, and then the people that respect us listen to us, you you will get so much more from people. People will pay so much more attention. People will put into practice the things that you're asking them to do. Um, and it will be a safer place. Mm. 
and I think that's one of the keys, the key points, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I, it sounds sounds like that gentleman's really embraced the the yeah. title coach, and and essentially what he is doing is coaching. And yeah. and and I I like I like that we're seeing a lot more coach titles coming out, but like you say, it, it depends on how the business utilise it. You can't call it yeah. a. a, a you can't call a turd a block of gold or whatever, and it, it's still a turd. Do you know what I mean? It, it, you can call them coaches all you like, but if you don't enable them, if you don't uh, help yeah. them do it, if if they're not the right person to be a coach, then then it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's the same with that. We had a bit of a transition in the industry. We were getting a lot more business partners. You know, going down the HR business partner route, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the same the same kind of tact as a coach, really, to be honest. And but, but if you don't enable a person to partner the business and, and no. you want them to just go and audit and tell off and checklist and stuff, that's not partnering. That, that's being an auditor. And if you want an auditor, call them a friggin' auditor. Don't call them a business partner. Don't call them a coach. So I think well, that's a separate conversation. So I'll probably stem it there then. That, that, so that, that gentleman, and you mentioned it as well, it sounds like a good trainer to me. So let, let's go down that route. What makes a, a good trainer a good trainer um so i'll put a flag post in the ground i think a bad i think i can tell a bad trainer in a, about two three minutes easy. yeah i agree with that yeah i, I agree yeah. i think the first the first warning side is if the first slide of the powerpoint says health and safety at work act 19 blah 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 section yeah. one and you yeah. just think it's going to be a long day yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or the, the worst point is, is that they go to the PowerPoint and you can and they before they've clicked on you can see the amount of slides they've got and there's 142 in the presentation for a two-hour course. Then you know you've got a trainer who really just doesn't really know their their subjects and they're just relying on what the screen's telling them. But we've all stood in front of people who've read off a PowerPoint and try which I can sit there and do quite easily. Mm. They've read off a PowerPoint to me what's on the screen that I can read. That's that's not educating or, or teaching anybody. That's just that's just taking money for the sake of taking money, isn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah. Uh, that does seem to be like a an addiction though to PowerPoints. Like I, I try well, very hard if I'm asked to do training to to try to force the client or the internal client or whoever it is to 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 avoid sitting in a classroom and going for a PowerPoint. But even sometimes the clients want that. That they don't they don't get it. They'll be like, oh can you send me over a PowerPoint? I'm like, oh, I don't want a PowerPoint. I want to take these people out around the building, around the shop floor, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Maybe there's like two slides or whatever. So sometimes I feel personally, sometimes I have been forced, I've only been given a room and said, off you go, that's all you've got is that room. And it's like, ah, oh, that's hard. So you then as a trainer have to be really engaging, which is a challenge sometimes yeah. for some people. Well, I've just applied for accreditation. I'm not going to say who with. Um, and the first thing they wanted was my PowerPoint presentation. Mm. And I thought, <laughs> well, I don't have one. <laughs> so we, we're going to have to create one, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah exactly. What, what, makes a good, what makes a good trainer? Subject knowledge, I think, is a, is a must. It's a real must. If you look at some of the good trainers at the moment, they're all ex-armed forces. That's a big one. A lot of the armed forces are coming out. Uh, uh, they get obviously they get paid an amount of money when they leave to, to retrain, and a lot of them going into training. And I've worked with, I've been taught by, by a few, uh, actually several. I did my CPCS recently with the next uh, 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 Royal Artillery. Um, they just know how to engage with you. 
They know what level to come to. What that was, you know, there's so many things that make, makes a good trainer. You've mentioned before in your podcast about swearing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's mm. nothing wrong with, with who you're engaging with to change the language and the tone of what you're doing. You mm. need to with some people to yeah. engage on their level. You, you, you absolutely have to. You know, there's some people you do it to, some you don't. I find there's a power in it as well. Like, I find yeah. that I, I've been in a training class and delivering training, and sometimes I will just put the F word in the most randomest point, just to tell the room, hey, I'm not what you think I am. Exactly. I'm not this kind of trainer that you think I am. And you can just kind of see people go, ah, and they relax. And and obviously it does depend on the room, I'm not stupid, but it's also like, we're all adults. And if you're that offended by me saying the word fuck, you really need to look (laughs) at your own situation. But before I get on my soapbox about swearing, let's move on from that. But I I think you're on to a good point there. I think, you know, it is about engaging with those people. And it was interesting, actually, we've just, um, I've just done a recorded conversation. I've not published it yet with um, two ladies from uh, America that wrote a book yeah. called um, IX Leadership, and it's it's they'll they'll kill me for for comparing to this, uh, but it's kind of like the disc profiling and the Myers Briggs and all that, but it but it's not that in in very clear way, is it? Much more about how people work, and when we we're having this conversation, all I could think about was being a trainer and thinking how much this would help me. So basically, they've got four different paths, very very similar to learning styles, which you touched on earlier which I think we'll come on to when we, as we're discussing a good trainer. Um, but they were saying like certain learning styles, you know, engage in different ways. So actually one learning style would actually prefer a PowerPoint with loads of bullet points because that's how they like to, to do stuff. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because as a trainer, you're told to avoid that. Or as a good trainer, you're told to avoid mm-hmm. PowerPoint as much as possible. I only use PowerPoint, and I think all trainers should only use PowerPoint to have a quick look and go, right, that's where we are. And just remind yourself, okay, that's what we're talking about. If you go off on a tangent, you, it, that, that slide is there to say, that's what we're talking about. And just give you, not the class, because you want them engaged with you, I think, you a an agenda i suppose mm. a, a live agenda in my opinion but that was very interesting that podcast is going to come out soon but yeah carry on sorry what makes a good trainer well no just it, it also it depends as i said depends about the, the the group that you have in front of you if if we're talking about um let's talk about an adult majority of our guys will be the adult learners you know guys who yeah who've been doing who've been working and you, you're about to talk to someone about abrasive rules and how to use a grinder they they've been welding and using a grinder for 35 years what am i going to teach them they don't already know mm. um so it depends where you're on site you know class, let's go classroom based then do you know what i tend to do is when it when it's a new company or the guys that i know to me i don't always look at it as trainer education i like to think it's a bit more of a group discussion know that they want to get key points they want answers to the questions so we don't know the answer to everything so if we don't then you find out you're going to give them a break instead of you know when you send them for that cigarette break spend that 10 minutes on that the information that they need one they'll respect you two you've learned something and three you probably get a call back for some more training Mm. but but know your answer um i i tend to as well do some you know we talk about people may think oh you know the swearing thing but what things that i do as well is i'll often sit with them I'll often keep a seat to myself in the middle of them and I won't just stand there preaching. I'll make it very clear at the beginning um, that it's it's informal, that I, you know, we look at the the, the retention rates of the knowledge. Um, 
as we've kind of already mentioned, 50% is gone within an hour. You know, mm. what's the end of the day? What have you what have you learned at the end of the day? You're down to 35, 40% of that information. So you've got to get key points across. Okay? Mm. You've got to you've got to know the subject you're talking about. And you've got to have the key points that you want to get across, that you want the learner to walk away and remember and to, to then inform other people as in you know in that conversation um, down the pub or mm. breakfast the next morning what did you get from today well i got this from it that 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 that's that's key um if we then look at i do we do, at watkins we do uh, we have a program with uh with a local college where we teach unemployed guys we put them through their iosh and we put them for the ccs test and we we get them back into work so really it's a really warming um how do I put it? It's a, it's a real uh, fulfilling. It's, it's yeah, fulfilling kind of achievement. Mm. You, you step back after a day and you think, you know, I've helped seven of those guys get a job. Well, you know, we've great. got them all through the Royal. We've got we've got them all the CSCS. We've applied for the CSCS card, and oh, then wow. they email you a week later and they say, I got a job, I and you just that. think, wow, you know, so much. So one recently, I, I trained a few years ago. Contact to say bought his first house. Now, I didn't cry at the birth of my children. I didn't, but I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. I didn't cry when uh, I got married, but I, this, this made me, this brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> Genuinely brought a tear to my eye. This guy was saying, this guy lived on his um, his friend's couch. Three years later on, he's buying his first house with his with his missus, you know, and, and part of that journey was, was that. So it's really rewarding, you know, it's really rewarding. But when I look at those learners, uh, we ha- I have to do that very differently because these guys, these are these guys are like baby birds in the nest. The majority of them don't understand health and safety. All they've heard about is from their peers, which usually is quite negative. So I have to start from scratch. You know, I don't really engage adult learners with legislation. They don't want to hear about the Health and Safety Work Acts. They don't want to hear about working at heights rigs. You know, they it's don't my job. About, you know, and neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, same here. Um, so I leave a lot of that stuff out. But with these guys, I do a very simple summary. So look, train a good trainer. A good trainer is looking at who's in front of you, what you're training, who's in front of you. It's about pre- pre- it's about preparing yourself. Every course will be different. It's about being able to retain information they give you, learning from those people in front of you as well. Mm. Every course is different. Um, Every individual will be different on those courses, uh, and it's about being prepared. You've got to be on the on, on the front foot the whole time, yeah. but be prepared. Be prepared to go on the back on the back seat and, and actually listen to what people have got to say to you, mm. because you will get big characters who have a lot to say for themselves, and you need to hear them. You need to let them have their say. Not too much, but you need to let them have their say. So a lot of things make it good. To me, preparation, the subject knowledge is very very important. And as we said before, mate, passion. Passion's yeah. the biggest one to yeah. make a good train. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing, not just about health and safety, but the course that you're talking about. If you're passionate, your uh, your attendees will get a lot from it. Okay. Mm. Yet you will get, uh, you know, you will always have guys who are not not with it. You know, I've, you're always going to get that. Uh, um, and it's how you deal with that is differently. But yeah, to me, it, it passion's key. Okay. 
I think there is so much to it, isn't there? I mean, I like what you were saying about kind of having those key points. I've always called that kind of like, I say always, I wasn't born a perfect trainer. The the last few years as I've been really focusing on it, I've kind of called it the golden thread. And and I pick one or two or three very specific things that you can take away from this. So so, uh, I've been doing a lot of fire safety training lately. And and I said, you know, the the key golden thread is if for, for the people managing buildings, essentially is is asked two questions if there's a fire will you know about it so you're asking you're thinking about alarms and warning systems if there's a fire can you get out of the building that's all i want you to take away from today right yes we're going to cover alarms we're going to cover compartmentation we're going to cover stories and case studies etc we're going to do exercises we're going to do all of that but if you remember two things from today if there's a fire in your building will you know about it Is there anywhere in that building that a fire can start and you won't know? And if there is a fire, can you and everyone that you're responsible for within your role get out of the building? That's it. Two simple questions. And that enables me to bring everything back round to that golden thread. You know, everything we're talking about complements those two golden threads. And it it just, you you keep saying it all day long. You know, let's introduce them to the golden thread. I think it was just before, it was it was a long time ago somebody said it to me and I can't remember who it was but then Dame Judith Hackett talks about it quite a lot as well in her in her um, the Hackett report she mentioned about the golden thread in there with a line of communication I think it is but anyway um, I think that's important I think the relaxed piece is a huge thing I think if you're delivering training for health and safety like you quite rightly said about your gentleman that's uh, by the way that sounds like an amazing thing to do um, helping people get a job and all that you're, you're dealing with the perception before they're even in the room they're not that they've not even got in the room and they think it's going to be a crap day yep. you know they've already they already decided they're going to get home and tell the wife we're oh, helping safety training and it so it's a bit boring and I've been there, you know, we have to go on more health and safety training than all the people that are not working in health and safety. If anything, we're the experts on death by PowerPoint because we've been oh, there. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that that is important, but there is just so much to it. But I think you, when you were, you were kind of talking about abrasive wheels and you said, well, let's talk about the classroom side of things. And I, I, One thing I was thinking there when you, you, you were going to talk about the abrasive wheels thing is I think these, these guys, like you were saying, or welders or whatever, been welding for 20, 30 years, been working on abrasive wheels for 20, 30 years. As a trainer, don't be afraid to use the talent in the room. You don't have, yes, you have, yes, you have to have the specialist knowledge, but you don't have to be the smartest person in room. You don't have to know everything. If I've got somebody in that room that's an ex firefighter and I'm talking about fire safety, to me, that's like, whoa, thank God, somebody else that can do some talking today. And and, and I'll let them talk. You know, if you're doing a kind of, on the shop floor or in the workshop training about welding, I would I would run that personally, more questions based. I'd be like, oh, show me what you do then. What, what's welding? How do you put your PPE on? Where's your PPE? And then just have leading conversations, leading questions. A bit like, do you know why you wear that? Do you know why you put water on a disc cutter or, or stuff like that? You know, do you know why that is? Well, just because we've always had to. Actually, it's no for dust. It's And, and you just, I would do it that way personally. Um, but I've seen training. Go on. Manual handling one. Well, the manual hand's the best one, isn't it? Because whenever I do a manual handling course, I have one opening question. Come on, who's got a bad back then? And yeah. that's it. You know, that, that opening question pretty much guides my course the mm. next couple of hours. Because 
you know, I'll have, I've got lesson plans written for all these courses, but I never follow them because, no. you know, because because it will go, my courses are asked about face, back to front constantly. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll talk about, I'm a big believer in manual handling training on how we look after ourselves. People mm. are always this in this belief that you've got to go and see an osteopath and, and, and a chiropractor. Well, 80% of backs will heal themselves. So Watkins, we produced, we actually produced a book, a book on how to look after your own back. We've given to all the workforce and our subcontractors in line with some manual handling training to, 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 to emphasize that report. So we're talking about when we train people, what we're doing, currently knocking out a load of manual handling training, which is backed up with this book on how you look after yourself. So a lot of my training is back to front. So manual handling to me is actually more emphasis on your back will repair itself. It's about how you look after it to prevent that injury. So when people, when you ask people got bad back, you'll have, what well, you just think about it, 50% of people have, have, had a, have had some kind of MSD in their time, you know? And you all get, you, you, you haven't got some some old ground workers on the course, or I mean, not say old, but awesome scaffolding lads, because you know one of them good for it. Yeah, I've had three discs removed, <laughs> and, and a prolapse disc, and I, you know. Um, and you'd always get, and even you've got youngsters, and then, you know, who say, yeah, I'm 22, and I've got a terrible bad back, and that will start your course very well. And that's just, that's about understanding the course that's in front of you. So manual hands is a really good one for that, actually. Yeah. Leaving the guys who've been on it to, because everyone loves story. We love a gory story. Don't ever, don't ever be scared to use that in your advantage. Yeah. yeah? People's, people's tales to tell, woes and stories of woe. And, you know, um, they love to tell. Yes, it's not great, but it can, if it can, if it, if it's proactive in its nature to stop somebody else further down the line having the same injury, then surely we should use that mm. that weapon in our in our arsenal to, to 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 try and you know eradicate those risks to, to individuals. So I've got mm. to go with a health and safety Ma- hat on there, aren't I? Manual handling's a good example actually. Um, yeah. I, I, I tried to I tr- tried very I, I struggled with manual handling for a long time. Um, I, I thought the answer might be just get them out into the onto the shop floor and, and lift what they need to do but it was I struggled for it for a long time to be able to break that perception of we're just doing this because we need to do it and then mm. and then yeah. I trialed something uh, an old old job and just thought right so the problem here is not what to do it's why we're doing it so I tried to now focus on on the why when I do manual handling <clears throat> one of the first things I'll say when I do manual handling training and it seems to have a good effect is is just to be able to say right who, who in the room's got kids and in nine times out of ten most of the people I'm, I'm training are of parent age or grandparent age and most people put their hands up if they don't I'll say okay do you don't have kids do you do any sports what, what do you do in spare time uh, I, I don't know play football okay so if I was to say to you, if, if you don't listen today, you'll, you'll probably be really going to struggle being able to pick up your kid when it runs up to you when you walk in the door. So you might never be able to pick them up again. You might really struggle carrying them around a park, something like that. You, I'm not doing this to, to tick a box. That's not the kind of trainer I am. I'm doing this to enable you to do what you need to do at work, earn money and go home and be able to pick your kid up to play football at the weekend because a bad back a proper bad back can massively affect your entire life. And to put that into context, so you said about young people with bad back, I didn't look after mine when I was younger and mine comes and goes and peaks and troughs. And then I started, I played rugby for a while. That made it worse. Great idea. Um, and, and, um, 
And now sometimes it comes and goes. And I remember going to Wimbledon, something I've always wanted to do in my entire life. Back was fine all day. But all day we were queuing outside in the sun. We didn't get into Wimbledon until about, say, it wasn't all day, but like just after midday, I think. But we were there. I was driving at three o'clock in the morning. We were queuing from about... I'd say about five, six-ish. We were queuing until 12 o'clock. By the time we got into Wimbledon and, I, and we were sitting and watching um, the tennis, my back was killing me and it ruined my entire day. So so actually, I couldn't do something I wanted to do and what I really always wanted to do. I couldn't enjoy it because I didn't look after my back when I was a kid. And, and that's kind of just one way I've I've kind of looked at that and just said, you know, this is more about the why we're doing this and, I, and we're not doing it because... I'm legally required to give you training. And this is the fundamental, the whole point of this discussion is that when we look at training and its importance in, when we look at health and safety, it comes so far down the list. Um, whereas if we educate individuals on how to look after backs, you know, which I'm doing constantly in the workplace, we've got a couple of people with bad backs from home and I'm constantly giving them some good advice, you know, every 20 minutes going to have a stroller get the fluid going in the disc so forth if we if we educate people if we engage with our workforce and our family and our friends um and we support each other it could become such a valuable weapon mm. in in how we and we control things like risk assessment you know we can we can it's all great line of risk assessment or manual handling including task environment load environment but if we don't educate the guys on why we're doing that or how they do it successfully, we're not going to get anywhere. So let's let's educate people on how to look after their back, and then hopefully we come about turn and we stop them getting a bad back in the first place. As with all courses, tinnitus, you know, mm. dust issues, and you know, we look at RPE, um, we look we look at the respiratory protection, and it's our last line of defence. Yet yeah, we've got to eliminate, we've got to reduce, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Completely agree with all that. No problem at all. But, but we're always so reliant on people putting dust. At the end of the day, we'll all still say, put an FFP3 mask on. Right, okay. But why are they putting that mask on? If you tell somebody the benefits of wearing a mask, if you explain to them the, the damage that can be caused because of the silica dust, and we all know what asbestos is, what we do, we don't, as you know, but especially with silica dust, which is it, the, the reports are starting now at, 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 and documentation being put together and feedback and it's, it's we're going to have some serious problems you really on in the industry it's going to be it's going to be quite big um if if we explain to people in 15 minutes the simple procedure of an, an intake of breath and an exhale in a breath something we do 20,000 times a day and why we do that and how the body functions with that how the bronchial airways adapt to that you get so much more from people because once again we're coming to the end we go we see training as the last point it should be the it should be one of the key factors mm. because we're training individuals we're we're, we're we're opening individuals eyes we're trying to we're educating them in how they look after themselves yes as management we put in risk assessment and then we have to have the backing of the management to to to, to, to implement all the ideas and the thoughts we have to mitigate risk but if we if we give guidance and we say training let's not say that word training and edu education educate guidance group chats um constant um i say constant but um consistent 
um, following up of that information by, you know, Talkbox Talk or Bulletin or walking, going onto site and having a chat with people, you will see a reduction in, in, in injury, in sickness, and you'll, you'll get the benefits from that. Mm. Uh, 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 and you're going back to that queuing at Wimbledon, okay? Mm. You know, um, and, and us as individuals, we, we're just as bad what we do at home. We all know that, you know, you know, you walk away and you think, God, you know, I know I can't stand around an hour in the queue. You know, this, this, that, and the other I should have done. You know, I should have drunk a bit more fluids or yeah. I should have I should have walked up and down a little bit, you know, let someone stand else in the queue. So we're always learning as well. But the point is, is that if we could give people that tool, that weapon of information, um, for themselves so they can use it for themselves and retain that you you'll see a reduction in, that, in a lot of it kind of ties in quite nice that kind of ties in quite nicely with what you were saying about that kind of vr and um, immersive technology and all that is is explaining why feeling why and and it reminds me of um unfortunately i, I wasn't involved in the in the project i was just a, a delegate but um i used to work for a business had a partnership with a with a massive metropolitan fire service and they had a huge training facility for their internal teams so this huge metal building in which essentially they would create a fire inside, send the boys in, uh, or people in, sorry, and, um, and, and rescue a doll or whatever. And somebody had this amazing idea uh, of getting our managers from the, our building managers, well, actually, they only did the safety team, but it would have been nice to, to get building managers, Not it, but it, it stopped, and I'll come to that in a minute. But they, they took them up to the this this site, and they set a pallet, on a big box on fire, and they, they put all their safety team in BA and full on, like covered us in a, in a full kind of firefighter. We were firefighter for, for a day, essentially, and went in and you got to see what they call the neutral plane, which is how smoke comes down um, like yeah. this. So the neutral plane is, the, is below the smoke, you can see. And you, they, they just say, stand up, you can see it coming down. And then they would explain the, the we went to another building and saw how smoke travels through a building and, and you, you start to see, oh, this is why fire doors are there. This is why smoke seals are so important. Obviously, we as a safety team knew it, but it was still an amazing way for us to see it, feel it. You could feel the heat through these suits, yeah. how difficult it is for a firefighter to actually get in. There was a gentleman that worked to the fire service that was called Spuds. That was his nickname because he went to a he went to a block of flats and rescued a sack of spuds because he thought it was a person. Um, <laughs> so it kind of puts it all into perspective of actually how hard these people are and how important it is for us to manage simple things like fire doors. But historically our building managers were always told you have to maintain a fire door because of what because we have to because the British standard says the law says whatever risk assessment says but we never showed them the real why you know look at this look how quick this smoke really travels this is not nah it's just a fire door this is like shit this stuff really moves and it's dangerous and putting people in there would have been amazing so why did we not do that why did we not uh, put it to building managers ironically and this is probably one of the biggest frustrations in my entire life apparently the fight their fire service health and safety team stopped it and they said it was too much of a risk uh, to send people in with, with breathing apparatus that are not BA trained and I, I was like I can get what they're saying but we were in a controlled environment we were surrounded by professional firefighters you know it, who had ho- we had a hose we put out fire and everything they had a hose it just in case if I'm honest I thought they've risk assessed it really well I thought they've nailed it I thought they'd come up with some real 
good control measures, but the benefit that, that not just us as a business, but if they'd have rolled that out to all their other partners, the benefit the industry would have got would have way outraged outweighed uh, Absolutely. The, 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 that, that study with the multi-sensory uh, virtual reality equipment, the, the results were just, um, well, the percentage of people's, say, going from game to, to reality, uh, to feel like they were actually there was 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 such a, a, a fantastic learning curve, but, mm. uh, and it probably would make changes in fire as well. Absolutely, that you actually feel like you've been in it. You know, yeah. if you've been in the situation, you're going to act very differently. Is if you haven't. So even if you've been in the virtual world uh, and you know tackled a fire that, you know, I, we've all done the, and I haven't done the, the multi-sensory version yet, which I'm keen to do, but I've done lots of uh, VR and it's very good. But I think if you brought that, as you say then you start feeling the heat um then you suddenly you feel like it's real life yeah it's a game it really is and i think this, this is where we're looking at as innovation because mm-hmm. i think if you look at your learning styles well 90 percent it's uh it, it, it's it's actually getting getting in and doing it that's where you retain 90 percent of information it is is getting involved that's mm-hmm. how that's 90 percent of the people sorry um learning that style with connected learning 80 to 90 mm-hmm. percent but what they'll retain that information by getting out there and, and actually physically doing it, as opposed to ten percent sitting in a classroom base by PowerPoint. So it works very, very well. Yeah, so I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, we have spoke for a long time, and I want to bring this to end. But there are some, there is something that I've come across, and I've coined the phrase myself: uh, training brain. Now, training brain. Yes. This, this is something you would have seen it in the notes, or maybe you, you thought about, it, and we discussed it briefly on our prep call, but. This is something that I've made up, but it's like when you get delegates in a room, so I use fire training as an example, is that they, they, I don't know whether they feel obliged to or whether it's subconscious or whatever, but I call it training brain. And basically it means that the delegates seem to demand a higher standard of safety in the training room when I, as a trainer, ask them a question. So, for example, Roy, where do you think we should have a fire door? And the typical answer is everywhere, every single door. You know, and where should we have an alarm? Every single room. And it's just like, but if I came to your workplace outside of a training scenario and said we need a fire door on there, you would probably argue, why? I can't afford it. Why are we having it there? I don't need, do I actually need it there? Uh, well, no, you don't really. But when we're in a training scenario, people seem to want to demand or they feel like they should answer a higher standard when I don't think it's, it's, it's in relatives, not a word. I don't think, not the right word. I don't think it, it connects to how they actually feel. I feel like they feel obliged to say that. I mean, I've had arguments with, with a gentleman that said that the bloody coffee machine in the waiting area was going to explode. What if the coffee machine exploded? Well, when's the last time you saw the coffee machine explode? We wouldn't have Costa and Starbucks if they were that explosive. Well, it could, couldn't it? Well, yeah, but my jumper could spontaneously combust tomorrow, you know, if we're going to really go that far. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's why we should have a means of escape from this room. What, should you have a means of escape from every room? And and you just like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you've oh, ever yeah. come oh, across yeah, it or... Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I constantly come across people who've got a who've got an argumentative question to ask. And who, I think it's those who, I think they're the ones that, as I said before, have have questions to be asked. But, but to begin with, I think they need they need a question asked about, one, they're asking you as a trainer how you see things. So if you gave them a standard answer from the rule book, you know, from legislation, I think you'd probably lose them. You'd lose them. But I think if you give them a common sense 
answer um, and conversation, um, you, you kind of keep them on board. I get those questions a lot. I think they're testing you out. I think that's okay. what you're kind of saying when you get there. I think I think they're testing you out and they want to see where your standpoint is regarding yeah, health and safety. Mm. Um, and I always come back with a couple of things. One, I always use that lovely terminology of reasonably practicable. Yeah. Um, like best <laughs> best practice is always a good one to come at them with. Uh, or sometimes firing it back at them and um, you know, using that terminology, you know, all things gone mad. But it, it, it's it, it, it really is um, when you, you get that type of learner, it's just trying to engage on their level of where they're coming from. Usually there's a reason for it. There's always a reason behind some of those negative comments. Mm. And people, I think people think they see trainers as just these people who stand up, click on a PowerPoint, press a red button, shine a light on something, you know, give someone a break, tell them how you're going to pass and fail. And, and But there is so much more to it. You know, there is so much more with trying to, you know, engage with every one of those learners so yeah i like you you will have um um the trainer brand i like that it's just funny when you said it to me i googled it and i couldn't really find much on it and, I, and you said you, it was your 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 thought because I, I made it up yeah yeah i know yeah um but but that's again a lot of that a lot of answers to the, the trainer brain as you say are in the, the trainer because it's about it's about the person giving the experience to the mm. to, to to the operative or to the learner um if you stand there as a person who doesn't believe in what you're talking about, that is the message you will give to those guys. Yeah. If you're passionate about it and you believe in it, that's the message that will come across to them. So you may answer their question wrong, but then for the next hour or two hours or four hours, if you're passionate and if you give um, a, a style of training that, um, that, that, that benefits them, I think then that you've answered their question without actually physically answering it, you've shown them. Because you will, I get questions of that all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is the guys that know it all. It's inevitable, you know? isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so I, I, to be honest, Roy, I could speak about this all day, but but I do have to um, do other stuff. Earn a living, yeah. Only both yeah. Got yeah. to get to as well. So yeah. So right, let's quickly then. I, I, I promised in the introduction that we would give two tips each. So yes. Um, if you were to give two tips each of delivering great training, so either it could be bribery. Bribery always goes down very well. Do you know uh, what? I'd you go actually. I don't want to ruin it in case that is your is your tip. You go and then I'll, I'll give you a story around that. Go on. Okay. Uh, two two. I don't think. I, well, I always go with one very key. As I said, before, knowing your knowledge, knowing your subject. Okay. Know the subject. You want to know other people in front of you. Um, target the points. Target the points that you want. As you said, the golden thread. Mine is not a golden thread per se. Mine is reiterating one, four points maximum. Usually three points, but I'll, I'll re-emphasize and I'll say to the guys as I do it. And I'll say at the beginning, guys, there are. There's a. You, you, you know, I'm gonna. I, I try not to be negative. Mm. So I say you're not going to retain this information. I never tell them that because also they're already they're, they're already a, a negative going forward. But I'll always say that you know. There's, there's things we're going to cover. I'm going to try and keep legislation quite simple for them because there is information I want them to walk out the door to remember to look after themselves because that's what we're passionate about. And I make it very clear at the beginning I'm passionate about it and that we want them to protect themselves. We want them to go home to their loved ones. Everybody deserves to. And we may laugh and joke, but that's what it's about. The reason why we do safety training is because we want people to go home. We, we all go to work with the intention of going home at the end of it. And, that's, and, and to me... Everything we do in health and safety is guided around that and training is an effective part of that. So I'll try and give them four points, up to four points that I feel are key that I want them to retain. 
that they can go away and they can speak to their peers about. They can speak to the youngsters but, um, and pass that information on. So that's one thing I do. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, is that I think we've, we've kind of summarised a lot of what we said. It's about engaging with your learners. Don't make them feel that they want to look up to you and they want to respect you. But at the same time, it works both ways. You, I think your learner wants to feel that you respect their point and, and what they've got to say. So mm-hmm. find a common goal, praise where you can. If someone makes a good point, you may not agree with it, but praise it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just about your fault, it's about theirs. Unless they're coming away from legislation, they, they've got it wrong. It's it's about praise. I, I went on a course recently, once again, no names. I'm not even going to see what course it was. But within three minutes, as we said, I knew that the trainer didn't really know their subject matter. And I listened for the next sort of hour, and then I chucked a couple of questions out there I knew the answers to, and they got them wrong. Mm. And I I then had the feedback form, and I refused to fill it in because um, I wanted to talk to managers and, and, and be honest and say, look, you know, this, 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 this wasn't good. It really wasn't good. Mm. And it's not like me. I believe, I'm a big believer in praising. We, mm. we, as a nation, we're very good to be negative. Mm. and complain when things are bad but we should praise when things are good you will get so much more from somebody in praising what they do than you will as contributing yeah of course we've got to be negative and we've got to kick some ass sometimes absolutely but even that's praising your learners you know someone in front of you gives you you may not agree but praise it make them feel part of what you're doing and you will get so much more so keep your points get your key four points that you want to reiterate and then engage with your learner Sit down with them at times. You haven't got to stand up totally, pointing fingers. And I try to engage everybody. I'll mm. get names very quickly, and I'll try then, and I will pick on everybody. And I will go back to people who make points. And if someone's got something funny to say, I want to hear it, because it's, yeah. it's good. It settles people in. So, yeah, there's, there's my two. There's my two. I like that. You, just quickly, this is, maybe not mine, but is is kind of mine. You said about bribery, like... I know, I know you were joking, but but that works. Like I remember a trainer, and and I've done it as well. When I used to, um, I used to work with a trainer. It used to buy like a multi pack of pom bears, and he would basically like however many questions. I can't remember how he did it, but if you get more than three questions right throughout the day, you get a pack of pom bears, whatever. And and then when I started delivering IOS management safely, I used to put a picture of my dog on the on the screen and say this is my dog mister there's nothing to do with this training course however throughout the rest of the course i will um treat you like my dog and and just let it sit there simmer because most people are offended at that point which is what i like to do and i would i would buy a tub of celebrations or something like that and just put a label on it saying dog treats um (laughs) and most people would be like where is he going with this and i would say the point is that my dog gets more praise than he does negative so we we train my dog and still do uh, on positive reinforcement so if you get something right today or i'm impressed by something you say I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the box of chocolates. You take yourself a chocolate, and and they're all like, oh okay. And it's and and it's oh, that's fun a brilliant idea. Yeah. It's fun for the day. You'd be like, if someone wants to say something, and you'd be like, I, I, you look like you're gonna say something. Come on, what is it? And then even if you don't agree with it, I still be like, Do you know what? I like that. Even if I don't like it, there's a treat. It because it encourages. Um, encouraging engagement and stuff like that sometimes it's just like picking one out and throwing it over and then sometimes it, you use it as a joke to say well you're not getting a treat for that that was terrible and you can just make a bit of a joke about it and it just made it real fun so i genuinely do think bribery works i i, I say that quickly sorry james I, years ago i worked for a, a, a college 
and uh, we, we they, they purchased a load of uh, merchandise and one was uh, tax uh, so going back a few years now so you put your car put your plastic tax disc in it yeah, yeah. The, 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 the training body provider and so forth and, oh, and obviously yeah. then it, they changed about six months later they turned around you didn't have to keep your tax holder in your car anymore so so these things are all redundant so I, I had a training course that morning and I thought oh, I've got an idea and um, I had all I had all these things I took them out and, and every time someone got something right positive they were given one you know and they loved it tax disc holder fantastic these things are awful but but they loved it but what I'd do is they got to say wrong I'll take it away from them and that went down well as well yeah so yeah well, it does work <laughs> it does <laughs> work it it does like work. a child yeah I suppose it does depend on the manner in which you do it and you've got to be quite a jovial person to be able to get away with stuff like that, calling people dogs and treating them like dogs. But it works. Yeah. If, if you're that kind of person, you can, you're, you're good sense of humour and stuff like that, it works. Which kind of brings me to one of my top tips, which is which is a, a cheeky one because um, oh, I've rolled a hell of a lot into this one top tip, which is uh, mix it up. So if you're yeah. in a classroom, that's fine. Acknowledge that, get over it. You've been given a classroom, okay, how can I mix that up? If that means that you're going to plan some jokes in, you know, I, I actively, I'm, I, I like to think I'm quite quick-witted anyway, but I will actively write stuff in where I think I can make a joke off of that. I can tell a funny story off of that. You know, if I'm in, say, fire training, I've got a really funny story about an escape room and it's very self-deprecating. It's humour based at me, um, but it makes people laugh. And then I bring it back round to the point that it's about means of escape. Yep. So plan jokes in, uh, use videos, podcast clips, anything like that. Um, yep. Interactions. Another thing that um, that I like to do, and an old guy, kind of old mentor, taught me to do, is get guest speaker in. You know, people are guest speaker. Yeah. If if I'm working for a training company, and I know, for example, Roy is just around the corner, and I'd be like, Oh, Roy, do you know what? you you've got a really good story about this? What time do you reckon you can jump in at about one o'clock? Actually, yeah, I can. Cool. Jump in at one o'clock, just for half an hour, just talk about this story. Okay, great, cool. Yeah, I can do that. It doesn't well, matter. Pack of bears on there, mate. Yeah, pack of bears. There we go. Yeah, you want some dog treats? They're yours. Um, so you know things like that. Get some get some uh, different people in. If you're using external trainers, can you get your internal uh, safety professional to pop in and out and just give internal related stories or something like that? Mix it up. The same voice all day is boring. So if you yeah, can absolutely. make group group think, I think they call it group group think something group like that. Yeah, think. the same you voice. Can, yeah, exactly. If you can do exercises, you know, you've got to make this as varied as possible. Think to the point where if you think I've been talking for a while, you should plan at that point change it's an exercise not a changing subject you're doing an exercise you know i use a lot of lego in my training so i just be like there you go everyone i say use a duck one so everyone gets the same amount of bricks here here you go um, everybody build a duck i make a joke so you've all seen ducks if i'm up north i say you see ducks up here right you've got ducks up north um and stuff like that so you know things like that and I said, why, why are you building? Why are we building a duck? Well, because you all had the same amount of bricks, you all had the same amount of time, but yet you still built a different duck. That tells you that people, how people perceive things is different, how people do things is different. So it's all about diversity of ideas. Silly things like that get people engaged. They, they, they just help people. So mix it up is my biggest 
biggest tip. My other one, which I'm a little bit annoyed that I forgot that it was one of my tips, so I wouldn't have mentioned it earlier, but my other one is the same as yours, is that golden thread. Um, and I will still use it because I've put a lot in that mixer up, so that was quite cheeky. But have a golden thread or have those three, four points that are key pieces of information that you really want to take it away. Um, you want them to take away, sorry, and that they can take away. Um, and, and for me, they're probably my two things. If I was going to be cheeky and add another one, I would say try and come up, make it relative. You know, come up with some relative stories that relate to them, lot, their lives, their workplace, or something like that. And or get them to as well. Get them to come up with some stories. That's always a good one. Yeah, use the room. Make them fill a part of it. You know, it's, we could talk. You could talk for hours about what makes effective and good training because everyone's yeah. you know, everyone's different, and that's the great thing about it. Um, but 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 the majority of people, especially the guys that we're teaching and girls that we're teaching, um, love to feel that they are the centre of attention as well. Some people don't, but the majority do. So so get them to talk to you about some of their, you know, the, 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 their stories. Get them to, get them, get them to open up. That always works well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's some good. That's some good thoughts there. I like the bribery one definitely. I might yeah, have to, that's uh... good. <laughs> I've got loads yeah. of trips. Oh, if, if if the whole podcast was just about tips for training, I've got so many up my sleeve. I could. I'd love to tell people about. I'd sit here all day. But like you say, we have to go and earn some money. Um, but yeah. Okay, mate. Oh, do you know what? I'm really gutted. I genuinely just yeah. want to continue this. I know there's so much more. You, you're talking now. There's, there's thinking. Oh, I haven't said that, and there's this yeah. I want to talk about. You know, um, <laughs> I said. I, I kind of feel like we haven't really. We kind of talked about stuff, but we never come to a kind of focal point. But you know, I think it's to me. You know, it's 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 about um, effective training. Is is what we're kind of looking at, and I just think it should be. It should be higher on our agenda about educating people. You know, external, internal. There's there's good arguments for both, um, but I think you get more positive results with with internal using using external as well. It drives costs down, but also can can put costs in because you're you're looking after subcontractors and you know training for clients and stuff as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I so agree. I think. Go on, mate. Sorry. No, no, go, no, go. I think that we, I think you're right. We have covered a lot of stuff we, we've, and we've skimmed over a lot of stuff. And uh, that is unfortunately the nature of these short, uh, to me, a lot of people think an hour's podcast is long. We've gone over an hour easy. Um, mm. They think it's long, but sometimes I'm talking to people and I just think I could talk for at least another two or three hours. And that is the nature of it. You just kind of skim over stuff. But for me, I think the, the golden thread, to use my term, um, of this is, is that you've got to look at training not like a certificate and a tick box if you look at this like this is a tool that we can use for everything to to engage to improve culture to to show people we're invested in them to to educate people there's so much more to this and i I know i've mentioned it a few times in other podcasts but even if you do send people away on a course like go and check out the venue if you if you pull up there and it looks like shit your employees are going to think the same and they're going to feel like yeah. you're not invested in them. But I remember going to do my knee wash and just turned up to the site and it was a beautiful place. And I was like, wow, my, you know, my business has really invested in me here. Um, the only course anyone's ever paid for me. Uh, so that was, that was a good start. But, um, and then, and then it's like pub lunches and it just makes you feel invested. There's so much to training. There's so much potential to this that you're missing out on by just trying to get the certificate for me that would be the golden thread of this conversation there's a huge potential here it could be you know like you say we could even put this at the higher at the hierarchy of controls 
if we utilized it correctly which i don't feel like we currently are well it's a, to me it's a hierarchy of controls when we look at the hierarchy of controls it should be an adaption to every single one it's great mm. it's great you know eliminating let's explain to people why we're doing that you know when we reduce let's explain to individuals why we're doing that again if we educate people that you when they go oh i understand when people understand you get so much more in a positive manner from them so um yeah yeah i like the golden thread i'll, I'll take that one away with me sure as <laughs> um, <laughs> a com- what a company can do you know if 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 management support and i was trying to make that point because you've got to get management on board you know it's a big decision bringing me on on as a health and safety manager and as a trainer but it was it's promoted from the md all the way down you know um you know, to my boss, Mark, um, it's promoted all the way down and they're nothing but engaging what I do. Everything I ask for, they agree to. Everything I try and put into practice, you know, they're, they're with it. You know, yeah, there's some there's some conversations on the way, but they, they go with that. And I just have to give that credit. Um, even down like today, mentioned to the boss, hey, fantastic, you know, but it's not about name dropping or it's about what a company can do if they put the effort, the energy uh, and the money behind it, but they can reduce costs long term. Because I think they see that the external internal training, you know, there's a lot of money goes to external training. But what happens in those three years? Does it make us, as you said, you don't like the word compliant? Does it make our guys compliant? What have we done in that time? And I think they wanted to bridge that gap, as well as bringing costs down, which which hopefully it has and will do more. Because we're you know we're IOSH accredited now. Um, we're going to be uh, have our own accreditation for a lot of things that we do. I'd like to, uh, long term. I'd like to get our uh, uh, some of our guys will come into retirement. I want to get them to be able to to do their uh, A1 verify. Actually, I don't know what it's to become a, uh, an assessor and do MVQ and sign mm. off our apprenticeships. Now, we I didn't even discuss apprentices. We've got as a company, we've got 28 apprentices at the moment yeah. um, that we actively in, engage with and promote. You know, 106 agreements. I don't know if you've come across them before. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we actively have open days and promote our training with the apprentices and, and interview them and bring them on and have a, a, have, have a training day. We've got a mock plumbing set up and a mock electrical um, distribution board set up and we get individuals to come in and show them what the job's about. We're already training them before they've awesome. even been offered a job with us, you know. Um, okay. You'll see it on, if you ever look on, on LinkedIn, there's some, we've done some work with some clients and that's, and that's we don't get any, there's no, no money with that. That really is about trying to promote so many things, safety, um, helping the, uh, local, lo- the local authority, uh, as, as a company we want to promote that 106 agreement um, to try and make a small change. There's a lot of good things that we try and do that I think a lot of our workforce and a, and a lot of people don't see because a lot of things goes on behind closed doors. But we do mm-hmm. a lot of things that just that are effectively around training. We're trying to educate for people even come on board with it. So, yeah. I think the only thing that plug in the companies that I think they're a big believer in that. There's nothing they're not they don't let us do. They they let us have let me have a bit of rain to be able to promote the company, educate people, um, you know, look at the next generation as well. I'm oh, in yeah. charge of apprentices. One of my roles is um head of apprentices and it is a juggernaut. It's huge. It's a big because we're, we're training them at colleges and colleges are struggling at the moment. You know, that's something I wanted to briefly talk about. We talk about education. The college system's in trouble at the moment, you know, further education. And I don't blame colleges, funding's dried up. Uh, it's, not, it's not the availability of, of, of lecturers anymore because it's not an industry that they want to get into. You know, no. when a guy was an electrician and he'd come to his he'd come to his sixth and thought, you know what, I could sit in the classroom and have eight weeks off. 
That doesn't happen anymore because I don't pay him for the holidays anymore. And they're still only paying him 30 grand a year to work in London. Mm. So colleges are struggling. We, we have a daily battle with colleges and and um, engaging with our, with our guys. They put me in front of the computers because they haven't got a tutor for them to work with. It's interesting, so it's interesting yeah. you say that actually because and and we are going to have to tie this up unfortunately but this would be a good no, no. conversation its own right yeah. um it's interesting you said that was around my um a father-in-law's house last night and we were talking about a local college um and um basically my, my wife's stepmom she works at a local university that is local to that college if that makes sense yeah um, yeah yeah and and she so she gets all the ins and outs and basically this college had the Ofsted report and they were like torn to pieces with, with health and safety and and to kind of put another point in and I'll, and I'll bring them together in a second it's, it's a friend of ours it's a teacher and and I asked him a question once when when you're like going on like a school trip or something do you do you like do your risk assessments and stuff like that she's oh yeah yeah we send somebody I said do you get the kids involved she's like no it'd be a nightmare oh, it's a missed opportunity and it's yeah. the same with this college it's like okay you've you've you've, you've failed your Ofsted report or whatever I've never worked in education so I don't know how it works but you've not done well in your Ofsted report for health and safety because students Students not wearing their PPE, and the shame. This college specialises in two of the industries that are the worst for health and safety, which is agriculture and construction. And it's there a shame. Go. And I just think you're missing an opportunity here to actually engage with these kids and and make them the next generation that actually go to the construction site in two years' time, demand better out of businesses, demand better out of existing builders, and yep. and, and and force the industry to be better. And and primary schools and junior schools are the same. Why are we? not engaging with kids and getting them to do risk assessments when we're going away hey kids we're going to i don't know local country park what we're gonna have a think about the risk what do you think is a little bit more dangerous in the park that's that's safer in in the classroom oh yeah. we could trip over miss and think yeah. about the conversation you're, you're not teaching them how to do a risk assessment but you are teaching them how to do a risk assessment because Absolutely they're doing right. it in their head we're missing such a big opportunity in, in education and, and you're right this could be a conversation in its own right and it's something well, i'm hugely it. passionate about yeah. We didn't even go on to think. We didn't even go on to break down like SMSTS and the, and the, the things they teach us that they don't need to. To the mm. things that we sh- that I want them to to be teaching my operatives, like you know Lola. I want them to, to to tell my guys about thorough examination, lifting equipment. That's what I want them to be talking about. I don't want them knowing about what the client's responsible for. That's that's management's job, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right. The college one, yeah, it's it's huge. I've got 28 guys out there, and it's a struggle for me to keep on top of it. I had to get quite a bit of help in turn. That's another thing. I went, I went to the uh, to the management of the company in Watkins and said, I need some help. And they just went, yeah, what do you need? And I said, you know, I've got to grips with the plant. I'm in charge of plant. I've got to grips with the health and safety. And the train is the big thing. But apprentice is the one that, that I'm struggling with. And I've been to see every college. I've proactively gone out and met every one of the colleges in London. And they've been nothing but fantastic. And they've all been honest and said, we are struggling. Some aren't, some are. And you you look at their you look at their lesson plans and their guide the guided scheme of work that they have for their operatives for, for the students and they miss all of that stuff they do mm. health and safety but all they do is uh, health and safety at work act uh, management regs you know they, they they don't talk about risk assessment and get them involved you know, get them involved in the risk assessment and the fire plans and they, they don't they you know even down to method statements it's because some of these kids are very very clever yeah. and I'm sure they got some real innovative ideas that. Let's be honest, us guys, especially myself, my kids are teaching me things. This is my first podcast, um, <laughs> you know, and these, you know, I had to ask my 16 year old, went, yeah, dad, it's this, this and this, fantastic. You know, so why are we not engaging <laughs> with these guys, you know? Yeah. Why are we not engaging about it? I, I was worried so about you. 
Like, you know, when my daughter went, there you go, Dad, I'm off to school. See you later. <laughs> so you're right. Why, 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 why do we still live in this, in, in this thought process that, that, that we know best and that operatives, students don't know anything? Well, they can give us so much and educate mm. us as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but is the education thing in that right is a big is a big thing. Like, yeah, and, and I'm a massive advocate for that. Kids are more intelligent than what we give them, 100. Oh, and, and I'm going to have to end it here with this one last yeah, story because okay, yeah, I've I've got a caller in uh, five minutes. So right, it's right. um, but but I went to a local college to try and encourage. Uh, they were doing like a careers day, and and they and I said I dropped them an email. I just said, hey, look you might not you know i understand the perception of health and safety you might not want me to come along but i'd love to come along and explain to kids how we need young people in the industry um i do it for free i come along i just give a presentation of my career what it's given me blah 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 and um it was probably one of the best things i've ever done so i i, I in my spare time created a couple of like games for my training and stuff i took one of those games there kids tore it apart gave me loads of really useful feedback and you know in the future i know exactly what that game's gonna look like now and maybe one day i'll sell it but the kid yeah. was just like well this is shit and i was just <laughs> like why is it shit and they were telling me yeah. and, I, and they were like, i was like this is amazing but the best bit was um, I, I, I asked something around the lines of what do you think of health and safety and some kid went well I went to a caravan with my mum and, and we were we, I got in the shower and there was a sign in the shower that said warning wet surface might be slippery and I was like it's stupid isn't it and I was like yes mate it is stupid it is yeah. so did, did you not know that before you read that sign he was like no obviously I know it's going to be slippery it's a shower Exactly. And that's why we need people like you to, to come and join this industry. Kids are intelligent. Let's utilize yeah. them a little bit more. Um, Absolutely. On that note, thank you, Roy, for coming on. And thank you for coming on and telling us about uh, what Watkins are doing. It really does sound like the way forward, which is amazing. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Well, I'm, I'm 100% sure we could, we could have you back on and talk about training for another two, three hours. We have gone way over the time that was in the diary. Yeah, two Let hours, mate. Yeah, just under two hours. Two yeah. hours. So um, maybe I'll split it into two. Um, but thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, hey, You're welcome. Anytime we need me back, if it goes down well, we're, we can do this again. It's a, there is always a lot to talk about with it. Yeah. I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found that useful. Roy was a great person to chat to. We're very similar on wavelength, which brings me to an interesting point. If you're listening to this or you listen to any of our podcasts, you think, I don't really agree with James. I would like to have you on the podcast. I want somebody that doesn't agree with my methodology uh, towards safety. It's a very kind of uh, avoidance of paperwork is very kind of uh, avoidance. Of, it's, it's a it's a people-based system. It's not a, it's not a systems-based system. Now, it, I don't mean to say that systems is better or people is better or vice versa. What I mean to say that's just how I operate. But I would love to have somebody on that can debate in a professional manner without being offended, etc. Maybe have a bit of laugh and joke around it as well because that's just what I love. Um, and come on and just disagree with me. Most people that want to come on this podcast or we engage with and, and end up coming on the podcast are people that agree with us. That's the inherent kind of nature of a podcast. People like what they do, they share what, what they hear, sorry, and they share with people that they think will like it as well. I get that. Um, so if you don't like this or you've seen one video or something and you think, no, nah, I don't agree with that, I would love to get you on the podcast and just have a professional debate. I think it's good to be challenged and I, I would welcome that challenge as well. So if that's you, 
hit me up on Twitter of Rebranded Safety or LinkedIn, James McPherson, um, or Facebook, Rebranded Safety. If you're watching on YouTube, all of those socials will come on your screen right now. If you're listening on podcasts, the links are in the description. If you like this podcast, please share it with three people that you think would benefit from it. You don't have to share it with all. I'm not greedy, just three people. If you listen on iTunes, we'd love you to leave us a rate and review. It really helps us get into other people's ear holes. And I've asked enough of you today. That will do. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'll catch you next week. Safe. everyone you're looking for something a little bit different for your next digital or physical conference business event safety event how about health and safety's first and only youtuber go to www.rebrandingsafety to get rebranding safety at your next event or email me at james at catch you later safe